Hey everybody, Gary Cantrell here from The Shoot uh, with a very special guest today, former WWE creative writer, Andrew Goldstein. Andrew, welcome to the program. Gary, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Well, I, we really appreciate you being here on our very first show back in three years. I think the last interview I did was uh, with the Honky Tonk Man, and that didn't end up so well. <laughs> oh, well, a very esteemed company. Yeah, we, uh, uh, just to give you a quick, uh, I don't want to take a whole lot of time on it, but just a quick, uh, backstory. We actually kind of worked an angle on the radio, you know, yeah, you know, radio people actually work angles. We, uh, we have this funny thing where we got into like this fake fight, uh, involving one of his, uh, arch nemesis, uh, Bubba the Love Sponge. And, uh, right. the audio ended up getting picked up on Sirius. Um, Bubba dedicated like, I want to say 30 yeah, minutes of talking about it and, our downloads went through the roof, so I'd say it went pretty well. You didn't make a sex tape with Bubba's wife, now, did you? No, I did not. I think my girlfriend no, would have a big problem with that. Sorry about that. Yes, yes. Him and <laughs> him and uh, his great company that he brings, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's been yeah. talked about at length. We don't need to run it down, I guess. But uh, So that was my last interview. I'm hoping this one is going to go a lot better, and, and, and I've heard uh, heard you in other places before, and I uh, definitely like your... Uh, your your outlook on things and your perspective, so uh, that's why you're here, and we we appreciate you accepting our invitation. I am uh, extremely happy to be on, and welcome to shoot back uh, to the airwaves and the internet, the interweb. <laughs> Thank you very much. It's funny, um, and and I'll go ahead. I don't mind uh, name dropping this. The first place where I heard you was the uh, PW Torch livecast. And when, uh, I think it was Wade Keller who hosted that show, when he said, former writer Andrew Goldstein, uh, just like this light bulb popped in my head because I actually have a friend who's named Andrew Goldstein. Uh, he's the guy, I don't know if you've, you know, I know you're on Twitter. I don't know if you ever tried to get the full name, but he's the guy that has the full name. He's, uh, he you was know in, that guy? I, he friended me. We're, 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 we're friends on Twitter. He's a musician, correct? Yes. You know, this guy. Yeah. Cause he hit me on Twitter. Oh yeah. That's uh that, <laughs> He used to live here in the uh, Northern Virginia, D.C. area. He was in a couple bands, and now he's uh, producing and recording bands out in Hollywood. Yeah, so he's a big deal, would you say? Oh, of course. I mean, yeah, he's he's Andrew Goldstein. He was a uh, he was wow. the lead singer guitarist well, of the Friday Night Boys. He's a talented talented guy. That's crazy. I gotta look him up. He's he's um, at messaged me a bunch of times, but just really quick, and I won't I won't take too much time. That's cool. Uh, if you if you Google Andrew Goldstein. Uh, you get that guy, your friend. Yes. And then there's two other notable uh, people with that name, the first of which is uh, somebody who about 12 years ago in New York City was uh, pushing uh, innocent women onto subway tracks in front of oncoming trains. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> in, for a summer. And it happened to be a summer where I was interning in New York at Comedy Central, and I was getting emails from people like, dude, what are you doing? Is this you? And it's like, no, it's not me. <laughs> I'm not the psychopath pushing pushing women into um, into the subway. And then actually, I, I've seen on MSNBC on a Saturday they've done a whole um, documentary on the guy. Uh, he was like a sort of um, schizophrenic guy from Long Island. He would come into the city, do his his deed, and then quick get on the train and leave. But anyway, and then the other one is the <laughs> first ever um, NCAA athlete to formally come out of the closet. It's an NCAA lacrosse player named Andrew Goldstein who, um, uh, a few years ago. So there's some prominence with, with the name. Wow. That, that, that is an amazing story. I, I thought I had the amazing story and then you wowed me with like an equally amazing, if not more amazing story. That's yep, crazy. I just think, you know, the, the amazing thing about Twitter, not only, I mean, the, the reason you and I are talking is basically because of Twitter. Exactly. The fact that, like, you know this guy, Andrew Goldstein, who reached out to me just because we had the same name and he looked and he found me and, and, uh, we, we correspond every now and again. You know, it's, it's funny about that because he actually, um, found me initially because he remembers a, I used to be in a couple of bands around the area. We never really were quite huge. The band he was in went, much farther than mine did, but he, he came to me. He's like, Oh man, I remember you when you were in this band. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe you remember that. And then it turns were out in the three MB with, uh, <laughs> were you in the three man band? No, that through McIntyre and, uh, I can't even, I don't even know their names, man. Drew McIntyre, Heath Slater and gender Mahal. Heath Slater and, and 
Jinder Mahal, yeah. I was not fortunate enough to be invited to jam with them or anything like that. I mean, you know, because I don't know what instruments that they play, and, you know, so I don't know where I'd fit. So, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. But you know what, Andrew? I want I wanted to get you on at this time because this is actually going to air the day of the, the Royal Rumble and – we're taping this. I'll pull, I'll peel back the curtain a little bit. We're taping this a little bit before the rumble. So I know we can't quite get too deep into it, but I definitely wanted to get your thoughts on, uh, you know, some of the stuff we know already about the Royal Rumble, namely the rock and CM Punk and their interaction. And I, I wanted to get your thoughts on how you think it's going so far. Yeah, I, I'll just say this right off the bat. I think that the two interactions we've had with rock and punk have, um, laughed and just blown Roxena, the, the whole build to Roxena, out of the water 100%. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the, the two interactions Rock and Punk have had, just far and away, more compelling, uh, more serious, and um, as a fan, just more entertaining than all the shtick that Rock and Cena did all last year. Yeah, I mean, th- those guys, uh, when they first, uh, you know, met Center Ring, on that uh, Raw, what was it, a week or two ago now? I mean, I was just blown away at the, uh, you know, the connection that these two had. And I was like, man, you know, I sure as hell hope Cena's back there, whether it's Gorilla or wherever, watching this and, and taking notes because, yeah. I, I mean, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I'm pretty sure we're going to get a rematch between Cena and Rock and it's probably going to be for the title, spoiler alert. So I hope that he was watching and maybe they can take some well, notes for the next build. I- I think the big takeaway, you know, for all the people listening who are big, you know, uh, Vince Russo apologists, <laughs> there's something to be said for heels and baby faces, man. Yeah. You have Rock, who's the ultimate baby face, and you have Punk, who right now is the ultimate heel. Last year at this time, you had John Cena, who's the ultimate baby face, squaring off against Rock, who's the ultimate baby face. And, right. you know, it didn't really, in terms of the build, didn't go anywhere. Obviously, the match was what it was, and it sold out, and it's set records and yeah. and that's all really WWE cares about but in terms of the fans compelling wise you can't beat you know your best heel versus your best baby face yeah those two I mean they just had a great interaction I don't know that I was entirely crazy about the uh, the pull apart I you know, I I almost would have wanted to see that maybe next week, like right before, like maybe that's the last thing you see is those two finally squaring off. And, of course, we don't have yeah. Jim Ross to scream into the microphone at us. We have Michael Cole, but I would have thought that would have been a great final image. My only disappointment was that um, when I saw the guitar set up in the ring, I thought that Rock was getting a guitar shot. But, yeah. again, you know, he's a Hollywood star. His face is probably <laughs> uh, insured for millions and millions of dollars. I don't know if he's prepared to take a Jeff Jarrett uh, guitar shot um, to the face. But, yeah. you know, that, that's kind of like where it probably could should have gone if this were done 10 years ago. But now, you know, it's a different time. So all we got was, was a, um, a pull apart. But again, Cena and Rock didn't touch the entire, um, they didn't touch really, I think, until the end of the build. Right. And it still didn't help because the, neither of them took it seriously until that last, you know, go home show. It was just cracking jokes the whole time. To me, Punk is playing it perfectly because he's just no-selling all of Rock's um, stick. Right. Cena pulled out the uh, what I like to call the smirk of doom uh, all of last year. I, I think that was yeah. one of the biggest problems. And he never learns because he does it. He's still doing it now. He did it all through the Dolph Ziggler storyline. He did it all through the AJ storyline. Yeah. I, you know, he he's been number one panderer. Uh, I mean, it, it sounds like I'm a big Cena hater. I'm not. I, right. I, Me you know, neither. I respect the guy a lot, but he, pan, you know, he panders, um, and that's pretty, pretty much why people, why you get those Cena sucks people because he's just this like caricature instead of like. To me, the, my biggest problem with Rock Cena, the build was that that's not how got how met two men with a personal issue talk to each other. Right. Yeah, they were. And just... to me, you know, growing up with the Horsemen and. Magnum TA and, you know, Road Warriors and Rock and Roll Express and all that stuff. I mean, all of NWA, all that stuff, that was how real, that to me, that's how men talked when they had a personal issue was like, you know, really hardcore, uh, intense verbal battles. And the, the, the two of them cracking jokes on each other 
it doesn't, you know, it doesn't sell to me, but again, it sold to millions because a million, millions of people bought the pay-per-view. So my argument isn't that ironclad, but I'm just saying for my personal taste, growing up with what I grew up with, with Dusty Rhodes, you know, and, and Ric Flair jawjacking each other. Right. And really making it seem like they hated, hated each other. I told, I just recently found this video of, uh, Dusty Rhodes and Tully Blanchard and, uh, Dusty ends up slapping, uh, baby doll. Oh, wow. He just gets so frustrated because Tully Blanchard sends her into the ring to uh, to handle Dusty instead of Tully going into the ring after Dusty calls him out. And Baby Doll comes into the ring and Dusty gets so mad that he can't get his hands on this heel that we've been waiting a year for Dusty to get his hands on. Right. He slaps Baby Doll and the crowd goes crazy. And uh, you know, so for me, it's just like that's what that's what. Uh, that's what I grew up on. So for me to watch, you know, CNN and Rock cracking jokes on each other and doing Fruity Pebbles, it didn't do anything for me. <laughs> yeah, you got you got lucky. You grew up on all that cool NWA shit. I mean, I man, the first uh, thing I was exposed to, I think, was uh, Survivor Series '91. I mean, I, I remember wrestling before that, but this is when I really first started watching. Watching it, I was uh, I think eight or nine at that time, and. You know, I, I got to see the WWF and, and all that stuff. So yeah. I, I didn't get exposed to all that cool NWA stuff. Well, what, what's great is YouTube, man. I was just saying to somebody today, is the, the most fun thing for me now, you know, I, I'm, I'm going back and I'm reading a lot of wrestler and wrestling biographies and, and wrestling books. Right. And now, because of YouTube, you can read those books and somebody, will, you know, in the book, they'll call out a very obscure match or, or an issue that they had with somebody and you can just you know put your bookmark in and go to YouTube and call up the match yeah and uh, it's a really good you know history uh, learning tool if you care to be you know a nerd like I am and like <laughs> go back and you know like for me like I missed all of ECW because I was in college and I was in oh, college wow. in the Philadelphia area but I just didn't know about it because right. I was you know I was doing other things and just sort of focused on WWF or WWE at the time. Yeah. But now it's like I go back and I read, you know, the history of w of ECW and, ha and knowing Paul Heyman uh, a little bit the way I do from working with him. Now I can go back and watch all these matches and see the, the you know, what they were doing and all these, the, the, you know, like Jerry Lawler showing up in the ECW arena. Like those are things I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't even know existed. Yeah, I remember that time where he, where he showed up and he had that match with the Tommy Dreamer at that pay-per-view in the summer. I don't know if, what was it, like Heat Wave or something? I don't remember the exact name of it, but I remember, I remember that feud and I was like, wow, Jerry Lawler, really? That's, that's quite interesting. And I remember going to a live ECW show at a nightclub and having Sandman yeah. pour beer down my underage throat. So that was, uh, that was <laughs> quite interesting. <laughs> I once went to, I once, I went to a wrestling convention at a high school. Uh, in the Philadelphia suburbs where I grew up. Right. And I went to the convention and then there was an event after that night when we went and, you know, it was very sh sh shabbily put together and I was sitting in the front row and right. there was really no barricade between where I was sitting and the steel cage and Taz was wrestling. I didn't know who he was. Yeah. And, um, I went, I was like, I went right up to the cage and I, I had like ketchup packets from Burger King. <laughs> Um, and I squirted them into the ring. And, uh, I think at the time it was the year that the Cowboys went one and 15 or whatever. And I just said, how about them Cowboys? <laughs> and I squirted it. I don't know what I was thinking. And, um, he, he was livid because I squirted the guy with ketchup. Right. Uh, but anyway, that's a stupid story, but you know, um, it's just, it, it's amazing what wrestling fans have now. Yeah. Uh, that they have, they can go back like when, you know, when I was a kid, all I had were wrestling magazines, dude. That's all, that was the only access I had to wrestling that I wasn't able to watch on TV. Yeah. That was, uh, I, I remember picking up, whether it's WWE or WWF magazine or, you know, Pro Wrestling Illustrated. I mean, that's what I live by right there. <laughs> yeah. Wrestling so. I with all the really bloody covers. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I might have saw that once or twice. It wasn't one of the main ones yeah. that I picked up, but probably my mother probably I'm kept me away from I'm amazed my dad that. used to buy those uh, magazines for me. <laughs> because I was, you know, 10 years old asking him to buy, like, Abdul the Butcher just caked in blood on the cover of Wrestling Eye magazine. So. Wow. Dude, I remember when I was a kid, um, 
my my mother that was the first thing she would take away is wrestling if i was like bad in school or the grades are down and i remember because i had like my hangout room was like in the basement and i remember i could listen for her coming so i'd go over to the tv and cut the volume down a little bit and just start watching and if i heard her coming i would immediately switch the channel and run back to the couch i mean that was like the first thing that she would take away was wrestling and i mean it just drove me ballistic that I could not watch Shawn Michaels or, you know, Bret Hart or any of these guys in the uh, early to mid nineties. It was just bizarre. So that's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, this year, I think, uh, you know, speaking of John Cena, I think that this year is probably going to be the year that we see him go back, uh, you know, I guess all the way on top. I, you know what? A lot of people give me shit and I'd love to get your opinion on this because, uh, you know, with the way that they have booked John Cena, I'm just I'm just surprised that he hasn't like had the title all along. I, I kind of feel like you know everybody keeps saying you know Cena's a top guy, Cena's a top guy. Cena, I agree, I have no problem with that, but I I think that you know I think he should probably just be carrying the belt around until they absolutely are ready to get all the way behind somebody because it, it seems like it's John Cena, and then you got CM Punk, and it's kind of everybody else, uh, you know. That's the way I see it. I mean, you know, what's your take on that? I kind of disagree with you a little bit. Okay. I feel like, you know, Cena's had 10 years on top. Right. And with many, you know, however many title runs he's had. And to me, he's at a point now, for me, where he doesn't need the title. Right. In, In my opinion, I don't think you need to keep the title on Cena. Now, I love what they've done with Punk and given him a year-plus reign. Yeah. It, it, brings credi- it, it just brings credibility back to the title. You see, over on the other show, the title is switching, you know, every couple weeks. Right. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think... I'm Again, I'm from the old school. I, I read I read all these books, and it's just like... I agree with Ole Anderson. You know, the title... The title decided by people in a boardroom. It's not really... So um, I think it's what's best for business, and I think the business decision is Cena doesn't need the title to sell merchandise, you know? Yeah. Cena doesn't need the title to sell pay-per-views. Um, but like you said, though, what I do agree is that I think they're giving him another run because the, the, the good money is that, you know, um, Rock goes over Punk yeah. at the Rumble, and Cena wins the Rumble and challenges Rock, and uh, you get your Cena-Rock uh, rematch. So do you think specifically that's the way they go with, with him winning the Rumble? You don't think like people might think, oh, that's too obvious. So they changed their plans on the fly, and and that kind of Look, parlays man, into a question. I that... hope they change it because I think that's <laughs> super lame. I think that's by the numbers. Um, right. I have a theory. Again, you know, we're pre-taping this, so it may not apply with uh, the the sort of last two weeks of plot that we'll see unfold before the Rumble. But sure, I would like to see. Um, I would like to see Punk, in the Punk-Rock match, the Shield come down and uh, intervene, as they've been known to do during Punk's matches. Yes, they have. And uh, sort of take out the Rock, and it's sort of looking like they're going to put Punk on top of him. And then here comes Cena to save the day, and Cena clears the ring of the Shield, and then he turns around and then, boom, stare down with the rock, like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And right. then Punk out of nowhere rolls him up for a quick one, retains okay. the title, beats rock. And then you have um, and then you have reason for Cena Rock 2 without the title. And then you have Undertaker win the Rumble. And then you have Punk with the title and the streak versus right. Undertaker with the streak. And it's streak versus streak. And I think that's where you can put Punk overtaker and really solidify CM Punk as the next guy for the next decade. I dude, I I love the idea. I just don't know that they I don't know that they, they would won't do, it. do that. No way at they'll all. do it. No. But I'm just saying like there are other ways around there like by the numbers, you know, what they've already probably had on paper for the last year for right. to get Rock to sign on. I feel yeah, I feel like they probably have already promised Rock a title run, you know. And I mean, I could see why they'd want to do it. Hey, you know, he's got a lot of this media to do with all the movies he's got coming out, and I'm sure they would want to have him carry the belt around with him and things like that. And um, you know, I, I I fully expect him to win it at the Rumble. Although part of me is like, well, you know, 
Maybe they'll change it up because it's too obvious, and maybe he'll do it at Elimination Chamber, you know, to give Punk a little bit longer. But I love your idea. I would yeah. love to see uh, Punk and Taker. I, I think that uh, I, I'm guilty of it. I go on these, like, sites once in a while and, and read this stuff, and a lot of these sites have been saying that they may be going that way, uh, at least, you know, having uh, Undertaker and Punk have a match. So that would be interesting. I'm, yeah. I'm all for it. I really am. There's so many fun alternative uh, series, and I'm not the biggest. I'm not by no means am I a good fantasy booker. I, I was terrible when I had the job, right. and I, I'm, I'm not. I'm, and I'm not good now. But every once in a while, you know, an idea like that's fun. And I, I was on the torch uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I I floated. If you had uh, how cool it would be. This is my dream, dream, dream scenario. Perfect world uh-huh. is if you had. Um, Somehow, I don't know how you get there, but somehow you have Cena versus Taker right. at WrestleMania, Ooh. and Cena goes over in a cheap manner, like Cena goes over with a nut shot or right. a uh, legs on the ropes, and basically solidifies his heel turn and solidifies his heel turn. To me, that's your Hogan joining NWO for the new generation on the stage of WrestleMania to turn Cena heel, taking away the the, the <laughs> the equity of the street that they, that they've built up for the last, you know, 20 years. Right. I think it would just be an epic fucking moment. <laughs> I would, I, no, 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 we're not, uh, we don't watch for that stuff here. <laughs> so no, it's, it's fine. You know, it, it's just, uh, man, I, I mean, I would love to see that, but then it's kind of like, well, you know, who would be that next big baby face that they would go with? I mean, do they have an obvious person right now? I don't know that it's yeah. somebody like no, that's, Sheamus. That's or... a completely valid argument because you, you can't, I don't think you could turn Punk uh, back baby face at this point. He's been such a hated heel. And there's, I think there's, you know, he's selling so much merchandise as a heel. It's like, you know. He's been he's good a at natural it. heel anyway. I think, I don't know if Sheamus is ready. I don't know if, how, I think Orton's going to be a heel very soon. Yeah. Yeah, they have a you know they have a babyface problem. They used to have a heel problem of they, they had no they had no credible heels. Now it's sort of they're they're running out of babyfaces. And look, unless they turn unless Dolph Ziggler turns uh, baby and they do it the right way. Yeah, I I, I almost wonder if he's going to get. I, and I hope not. I, I almost wonder if he's going to get lost in the shuffle, or, or do they even have him in their like top four, top five match plans for Mania? Because he's been so good, and I just really, I, what's that? Yeah, it, it really disappointed me. You know, he's having these amazing matches every week with Cena. Yeah, and Cena's you know going over every time. I'm hoping that, as frustrating as that is, I'm hoping it leads to that 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 uh, that culmination where we finally get Ziggler over Cena clean and and that sort of turns the fans like yeah he does it in he does it in spite of Big E Langston and in spite of AJ but I don't know I don't know if that's what they're building to but it, it seems to me it's the only logical reason why they would why they would job out um Ziggler all these weeks in a row when when he was just starting to get momentum well, yeah, that that's something I definitely wanted to run by you because, you know, obviously you've been there. I have not. But, you know, I found it kind of odd, and I, I kind of got this theory, and maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. I, I feel like maybe they're still booking week to week on some of this stuff because they had the week before where they had just a, a regular straight-up match, and they threw everything at Cena, and he kicked out, kicked out, kicked out. One move, Ziggler's done. And then the next week, they had a cage match, kind of the same template only with the cage and um Cena goes over I mean to me it seems like you know maybe you had Ziggler go over the week before then to say all right well next week we're going to have a cage match and this is going to solidify that you know nothing bad is you know nobody's going to get in and and they're going to have to have a decisive winner you know maybe they give Ziggler the the cheap finish before that and then the following week, you know, Cena can have this big win, but it seems like they're kind of just going week to week. They're not thinking about it. And, it, you know, Cena gets it um, two times in a row. And if I may, I'd like to bring up a, a time I remember where uh, Cena and Umaga had a fight. I believe it was at that 
they used to have this January pay-per-view before the Royal Rumble. What was it like? New Year's resolution or revolution or something? Yeah. And they, yeah. they had a match and, and Cena kind of went over them, but then they had this next match at the Royal Rumble, which I thought was really great. It told a story. You had Umaga with the ropes around Cena's neck and, you know, Cena, you know, he fought hard and he came back and he won. And I'm kind of like, man, if, if they would have given Umaga some sort of a finish that pay-per-view before, and then it could have set up Cena for the big win, but instead with Cena, he just kind of bulldozes through everything. And then, of course, he doesn't sell the loss. Like, it, you know, he just doesn't care. Uh, what was it? After TLC, yeah. like, he just acted like he didn't even care. And I, man, I think that's why people really hate him is that he doesn't, he, he doesn't care about big losses. He just eh, smirks it off. No big deal. Just another day yeah, at the I mean, office. You saw that after Mania. He came out and, you know, he lost to the Rock and then he comes out and, you know, he went on a little losing streak, but, um, that's just how they book him. I mean, he's Super Cena. Yeah. That's how Vince sees him, and and he's the he's the guy right now that they can rely on. And he sells the most merchandise, so it's like he's Super Cena. They book him to do these amazing feats of strength, whether it's you know fuing Big Show <laughs> or uh, kicking out of all of Dolph Ziggler's moves. Right. You're, that's what you're. That's what you're. That's how they book Cena in a match. Well, you actually so, you actually wrote this great piece on uh, WrestleZone comparing Cena to Backlund, and uh, I can't believe you read that. I, I did, I did. Why are you, uh, you are you ashamed of it, or you didn't like it? Or? No, not at all. I'm just, <laughs> you know, I'm, I never know how many people see that or get to or actually read it. But I was I was proud of that piece. I mean, the basis their going theory is that to me, it, it came out of that seeing um, uh, Punk. And Daniel Bryan, it, I wrote it right after WrestleMania, I believe, and it was like, er, right after, when Punk, the day Punk, Bryan, and Austin Aries were all, were the champions of the big three shows. Right. And it, and it, it was just like a, it was a marker in time for me, uh, to be like, wow, it's really sort of a possible changing of the guard here in wrestling. Like, look where we are. There's these three guys, not WWE homegrown, um, from the indies. Uh, and they're the cha- they're the flag bearers for all three major wrestling shows right. uh, nationally. And then I went into the like Cena's been on top for ten years, and and uh, he's a WWE creation. Yeah, uh, he came up through the WWE developmental system, and to me, he was like Bob Backlund. Bob Backlund was a company guy. Cena is the ultimate company guy. He's good for the office. Right. You know, you can rely on him. He's a reliable hand for the office and uh, obviously in, on a charisma level he is far beyond uh, Bob Backlund and <laughs> yes. uh, merchandise level and all that kind of thing but <laughs> if you just look at it in terms of their runs you know uh, Bob Backlund had this crazy long you know four year uh, title run and he had this ten year run on top and he was the same pick for all of those years and now you now it, to me it, it just felt like it was killing time until you found that next really um monumental uh, trend guy that could really change the business. Where right. Bob Backlund dropped the title to Sheik so Hulk Hogan could come in and become champion and change the business. Yeah. Same thing with same thing with Cena sort of passing the torch to Punk who's that next generation of, you know, he's going to define this, the, the next sort of 20 years of wrestling. Do that you... was the going theory, but um, I'm glad you read it. That, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I wanted to just follow up uh, with it. Do you think that uh, Cena and Backlund are more closer than, say, like Cena Hogan? Why or why not? Or you know, what do you think? Well, about look, that? Cena Hogan is the easy comparison because sure. of the you know the Hulk Hogan. You know, sold the he sold the foam fingers and the and the and the red and yellow t-shirts, brother, and the headbands and. Yeah. yeah, exactly, and he had the catchphrases, and John Cena, and it was a cartoon character, and John Cena, pretty much the same way, um, booked the same way, feet, huge, amazing feats of strength, kicks out of everything, sells, him, sells a ton of merchandise, just like Hogan. I mean, all of those similarities, yes, they're they're very similar, but right. just in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, it just struck me. It, it was like, wow, Cena's been on top 10 years, but kind of is just a transitional guy between the Attitude Era and this new sort of reality era. Because right. there really is no, if you look at the 10 years Cena was on top, what do you, how do you define that, that era? <laughs> nothing I, really, I have no nothing definition. Nothing really happened. 
Yeah, not not a whole lot it of. It was a transitional anything. era. Yeah, I think they were kind of spinning wheels a little bit. Not that it was a dull era by any means, but nothing really was defined, you know. And that's not to take away the amazing, amazing uh, abilities of John Cena. I give him all the credit in the world. I mean, again, the guy's been on top for 10 years. But you can make the argument that it's been a transitional decade. Did he kind of have a different persona when the cameras were not in front of him? No, uh, Cena's the man. He really is. Especially, like, when I was there, he was the champion. He was the flag bearer. Right. And um story I always tell is, you know, um, very old school in that, you know, we would get back to the hotel after shooting, you know, a full day of TV. Yeah. And um, it was a night where, I don't remember the particular city, but a lot of nights after the show was over, we would tra- travel overnight to the next city. This happened to be a night where we were sleeping over in that city in the hotel. Uh-huh. All the boys were in the hotel. Creative team was in the hotel. The crew, everybody. We all ended up at the hotel bar, which Cena uh, basically made sure that they would stay open as late all through the uh, the late hours, right? Um, for everybody, and basically he said to the proprietor of the bar, "I want every." beer that you have cold or warm I want them in a tub of ice right and and I will buy I will buy every single beer that you have on the premises wow and and he did that and uh, he basically said you know no you, nobody leaves until all these be- all these beers are finished so <laughs> um, you know that he that, that's just one story I mean the guy he's very generous you see what he does with make a wish. Yeah. See what he does with uh, fans and and um, media. Uh, he really is. He's a great guy. I mean, I've heard stories of he's a little rough on the on the younger wrestlers now that he's a uh, you know ten years in. But sure, as he as he should be. I mean, uh, all all of all of the legends have that responsibility to sort of uh, make people pay their dues. So I I don't begrudge him for any of those those little stories that leak out. But in my experience. He was nothing but a gentleman with me. He was very open to ideas and um, jokes, you know, pitching jokes to him. And, sure. And, uh, uh, yeah, so it's all, to me, all, all I can speak on is what I saw, and he, he's, a, he's a gentleman. Definitely, definitely. And, and just, uh, I don't know if you would know this or not, but uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the promos that he would, that he would do, is he very heavily scripted, or, is he a, or does he kind of go off on his own, to your knowledge? Well, when I was there, this was six years ago, so it was um, it, it was sort of half and half. It was a lot. It was Brian, a lot of Brian Gewertz and a lot of Cena putting their head together and um, you know putting these those sort of jokey promos together. I think when um, nowadays, <clears throat> I'm sure he has carte blanche because look, you could see his his promos now are not as tight as they used to be. He he goes off in all sorts of tangents and misses certain points yeah i've heard rumblings (laughs) that you know um upper management gets sort of annoyed with where he goes with certain promos uh because he derails sort of the story a little bit but um i think that's due to the fact that he's earned the right to cut the promo the way he wants to cut it and he wants to be jokey so that's what he gets to do i don't think anyone's taking him aside saying you know all right man cut back on the jokes (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I doubt whereas, whereas a guy like Titus O'Neil, you know, he goes out on the commentary. <clears throat> Titus O'Neil goes out on the commentary as a heel, and uh, basically Chris starts cracking jokes like a babyface, and kind of gets over. And that, then you see he jobs for seven weeks after that. So, yeah. well, you know, Titus O'Neil is unstoppable. Like, well, wait a minute, I'm not going to go there. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, you know, and speaking of guys that uh, you know, I guess have a good rap or a bad rap, you know, we're, we're on the internet, so can't go without mentioning the, the great Triple H and, and, uh, what, you know, a lot of people give him a bad rap. I don't know if it's justified or not, but what, what's your whole take on, uh, on Triple H and, and your experiences with him? I've heard all the stories and when sure. I was there, he, he was just starting to dip his foot into the creative side and show up at agents meetings and production meetings and stuff like that. And, and um, at that time, he was, crack, you know, in there just to sort of crack jokes and give a suggestion here and there. But um, 
I I'm not a I'm not a very big you know uh, hater of Triple H. I, you know, yeah, he buries guys when I was there. You know, I was there for the whole um, rise and <clears throat> subsequent burial of the Spirit Squad. You know, like really, yeah. really harsh. You know, they put them in a crate and shipped them back to OVW after those guys <laughs> had headlined. You know, like six straight pay per views. Yeah. So, a lot of that comes from Triple H thinking it's funny. Right. Um, but I think now, again, I'm not there, but I, reading on the Internet and watching the product, you see the certain things that he's supposedly given credit for, which is revamping the, the developmental system. Well, look at the shows. They're full of developmental talent. Right. So he's, do, he's doing that right. Um, we're, we're getting, we're, there's stories of Jim Ross and Gerald Briscoe going out to um, – Big time colleges and college wrestler, college wrestling matches and college football games are recruiting, um, athletes and people with a passion for the business. I think, I think that's all, I think that's really good. Yeah. He is, he's including, you know, he's taking guys who were, um, forgotten about and sort of scorned with guys like his friends, Xbox and Nash and Billy Gunn. Right. And those guys are going to developmental and and te- you know uh, imparting that whatever wisdom they have that's that isn't clouded by drug <laughs> former drug use <laughs> yeah. uh, on on the younger people. So what I'm trying to say is I think Triple H knows the right thing to do, and I think he he has a good eye for the future of the business. And I don't I don't subscribe to the opinion that when Vince when Vince hands it hands the keys over to to Hunter and Steph that you know, the business will, um, you know, WWE will, will f- burst into flames. I mean, yeah. I think Triple H has a better head on his shoulders creatively than Stephanie does. <laughs> well, maybe he can perhaps steer in the right direction. You know, I, I, I almost have a theory about that and, and, you know, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I almost felt like maybe he was more like he was like back then when you're referring to like Spirit Squad, maybe because he was still part of the active roster. Maybe there's a part of him that, felt the need to still kind of uh, protect his spot and, and things like that. I mean, do you think that yeah. played a part in it? Maybe now, you know, as we go into the future, he has much of a lesser role, you know, perhaps that, you know, maybe just going to be, you know, a little more conscious of things that are, you know, what what kind of decisions he may be making. Once a wrestler, always a wrestler. You still see, you know, obviously everybody is saying we're going to get Brock Triple H at WrestleMania, yeah. which I don't think is necessary, but, you know, again, so he's going to protect his, himself and his character, and I'm sure he's going to go over Brock since, you know, the last time we saw those two, Brock, you know, made, uh, you know, broke Triple H's arm, supposedly, but um, yeah. <laughs> I think he's always, I think he's always going to have that perspective, but I think more and more as he transitions into corporate, um, corporate Hurst Helmsley, he, uh, I think, like I said, I think he's more even. I think he's more um, level-headed um, when it has nothing to do with his character, right? Than Stephanie, who is just, you know, uh, you've heard me on other shows. She's all over the place, and you know, doesn't doesn't do anything for me creatively. Is that just kind of, you know, I mean, has she ever really, you know, hit the nail on something and been right about stuff, or has she always kind of just I'm, been look, off the mark? I'm sure she, I'm very hard on her because she was hard on me, but yeah. I'm sure she's had a couple good ideas, but none when I was there. <laughs> so you were there, let's uh, let's get it for the listeners, I mean, I've heard it in other interviews, but uh, about about the time, you know, about what, what was the time frame of the time you were there? I was there... Uh, most of 2006, so you're taught, and I was pretty much dedicated to SmackDown, though you got to work on all the shows, but Booker T was my champion, Batista, um, it was King Booker and Charmel, we had Batista as the other big baby face, right. uh, as the big baby face, you had um, Benoit, uh, Ray, Chavo storyline that was basically you know, took up an entire year with Vicky and the whole custody, not the custody battle, but the um, inheritance, Eddie's inheritance and that whole stupid storyline that I could tell you that whole story where that came from. And then we had young guys, you know, we had, we brought MVP up from developmental. We did that whole storyline with his agent and his contract demands and, and we launched MVP. Uh, He's still, he's still a very good friend of mine. And 
Um, Mr. Anderson, <clears throat> Mr. Kennedy was huge, was just coming into his own, and I was lucky enough to write the uh, the promo for him that he cut um, against the black background uh, against Undertaker. Uh, it's on YouTube, but he basically says he, he he's not falling for the Undertaker's parlor tricks anymore, um, yada, 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 and you know, Ken said that was the best promo that he ever cut in WWE. So that was a, that was a proud moment for me. And then you know, he had like London and Kendrick and Regal and Taylor and um, that that era of SmackDown. Vito in a dress. We had the Boogeyman. We had the Miz. <laughs> that was my roster. Wow, that's uh, that's quite a roster. I'm sorry. Did you say Booker was King Booker at that point, or he was not? Yeah, he was King Booker with uh, he was King Booker with uh, Queen Charmel. Who? Uh, who 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 came up with that idea of the whole King Booker? I really enjoyed that. Believe it or not, I thought that was well. I, that was I great. think it came out of King of the Ring, I believe. King of the and Ring. Then he just yeah. he you know once he won the King of the Ring, he owned it, and he started talking with the accent and everything like that. Yeah, that was that was uh was pretty pretty entertaining. I thought it was a a new spin for Booker. I thought he he really kind of made it his own and, and and did a good job with it. I believe, but that's exciting. He's one, that of, the, he's one of the just such generous guy he's just such a nice nice individual wow well that's uh that's definitely putting him over strong do you have anybody that you really hate we got to get some some juice here <laughs> well, man I do, like, i've been vocal <laughs> stephanie you know she was not very uh nice or uh open with me right um none of it you know it's so funny it's like you go in you're intimidated by these wrestlers and none of them were really terrible to work with it was it was the it was the politics of the of the um, upper echelon of uh, management that that uh, really was the the hardest part. Right. How much? I wouldn't look. I wouldn't even say I hate the Freebird because even though I had my had my issues with him, he. But um, I I don't hate the guy. I mean, the guy is a gen- he's a genius at what he does, and obviously, look how long he's lasted behind the scenes, and I thousand percent respect. His wrestling career, I mean, Freebirds Von Erics to me is top three angles of all time. So um, nothing but reverence there. I mean, I had my little disagreements with him and um, stuff like that. But I, you know, hate's a, hate's a strong word. I don't hate Stephanie. I just, you know, I, I just feel like uh, her decision making sometimes is 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 flawed and and uh, sort of the political head games that that are played right. are uh, are tough to deal with. Yeah, I I could imagine. I mean, you, you always hear things that uh, supposedly come out or whatnot, and I mean, you were actually there, so you you would definitely know. Uh, but, yeah, you know, what's look, like the guys are all the guys want is you know obviously they'll come out and they'll say like oh these stupid writers they they've never laced up a pair of boots. Yeah. But when you're in it, man, they they're the first guy to like call you with an idea. I mean, I'm like Kennedy, MVP, and Lyndon and Kendrick. They're all guys that you know. Li- here and there, I, I still sort of talk to and right. I re- and uh, just love the time. And like Mark Henry, who I didn't even get to work with at the time, but he's another guy, just the biggest teddy bear you'd ever meet in your life. In your life, he had one hell of a run in, in 2011. Now I guess it is. I keep. I'm thinking. hoping. I'm hoping he gets another one. I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in the Rumble. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm a little disappointed that. Big Show dropped the title because I was hoping we'd get another sort of uh, Big Show Mark Henry match. Which, yeah. for uh, you know, I'm not the biggest Big Show fan in, in terms of that he's just been around so long. He doesn't. I don't really care that much anymore. Yeah. But um, I did care. You know, Big Show Mark Henry was pretty awesome. I was at Madison Square Garden when they when they superplexed each other. So that was pretty cool. But uh, Mark's a great guy and. Um, I hope he comes back. I hope he has one more run in him if his shoulder can uh, can get to a point where he, he can work in the ring. But, um, yeah, man, it was a fun time. 2006, you look back at it, and it's very transitional. But at the time, it was like we were doing some fun stuff. We, yeah. And believe me, the stuff we were pitching was more fun than what, what made air. But you well, don't always get to produce the, the, the good stuff. Well, that, that's the thing I was going to – that's what I was going to ask you about next is, uh, you know, you mentioned a lot of the guys who come right to you. I mean, how much input do you guys really get? I mean, all, ultimately, all, all all roads lead to Vince, and we'll get to him in, in a moment. But, you know, I mean, how much input do you guys really have at the end of the day? How much input do you really have? 
I mean, look, <laughs> we have uh, a ton. I was, we have a ton of input right up until t- TV day. Right. And then you get to TV, and then you get to TV, and the agents have their say, and and they have their agendas from the from the house shows, and the, the, the guy. Let's say let's say you write the the coolest best storyline for Mr. A- Mr. Kennedy. Right. And Vince is on board and Stephanie's on board and you got six weeks full of uh, what, where you're going to go with the story and everything's locked in and he's going to go over on the pay-per-view and then you get to uh, and I'm not saying this happened I'm just using him as an excuse. Sure. Then you get to TV to kick off the story and you pit, and the story it, you know you say alright well Mr. Kennedy's going to go over here at uh, this pay-per-view and maybe one of the agents on a house show, maybe uh, Mr. Kennedy pissed him off at the house show. He raises his hand and says, oh, I don't think it's a good idea to have uh, Mr. Kennedy go over tonight. And wow. Vince will always side with the agent. And there goes your six weeks of story. Well, uh, in you, fact, what's that? In fact, I mean, I think I've told this story before. I, I don't mean to cut you off, but... Uh, You're probably going to answer my question anyway. That's with, okay. With MVP, you okay. know, he was supposed to debut... A, Whichever I'm never good with pay-per-view names, but um, he was supposed to debut, and he was uh, and he was supposed to be he was supposed to go over Chris Benoit uh-huh. at uh, in his debut, and okay. we had like six seven weeks of story built off of that, and uh, they had trained together, they had worked. Benoit went down to OVW, trained with MVP. And they were ready. They had their match worked out. They were ready to go. Like I said, huge rub to this new guy MVP that we had been selling with vignettes for weeks. Right. And then we got to TV, and the agent said, "Well, I don't think uh, I don't think Chris Benoit should a guy like Chris Benoit's stature should uh, job to a to a no name rookie." So that that match went away, and MVP faced a uh, local. Oh, a, jabroni, a, a, was, a jobber, and uh, that was it. And then the story, you know, it didn't fizzle, but it didn't have the same pizzazz that it right. would have had if we kept to what every what was signed off on. I think you're talking about uh, No Mercy. It was yeah. in uh, North Carolina because uh, here exactly. we go. Here we go again. I know the guy who he wrestled, uh, a guy by the name of Marty Garner. He uh, wrestled as uh, Champagne. On the indie circuit, he was friends with uh, the Hardys and Shannon Moore and uh, Shane Helms. I, I actually interviewed yeah, the guy. Right. He gave his uh, retirement speech on my show like four years ago. He was a really nice guy, oh. actually, and he talked about what it was like to, to – he remember he told me he was calling all his friends. Uh, he was like, man, I'm going to be on pay-per-view tonight. It's going to be great. And so, yeah, that's uh, great. Yeah. I think, yeah, and the, you know, the, I think they had Benoit go, you know, face somebody, you know, some – guy that was on the roster and then MVP you know they just had a debut against a local on a pay-per-view that people were paying for and you know that your hands are tied as as a part of a member of the creative team which is I think something that people don't people don't necessarily take into account when criticizing the creative team as a whole it's 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 not our fault a lot of times right believe me we come up with stupid ideas that end up uh happening but for the most part it's there are really cool ideas that never get to see the light of day for a, a huge number of reasons, one of which are the agents, one of which is Vince, one of which is Stephanie, one of which is happenstance, injury. Right. I was there for the whole um, um, elevated enzymes where uh, Lashley had to back out of the pay-per-view. and um, Kali, I think Kali faced a big show in the, Pun- in the Punjabi prison match. Oof. <laughs> Wow, it was yeah. It was supposed to be, um, I forget. I for, yeah, there were like a bunch of matches that had to be rebooked the day, uh, you know, the week of because um, there were all these uh, medical. Wow, risks. wow, man! I, I I'm sure uh, Great Collie's probably a really nice guy, but man, I can't stand to watch him on TV these days. It's just so yeah, slow. Funny, yeah. He's a nice guy. He's gigantic. I bet he is. <laughs> yeah, I just, man, it's just, I, I see him on TV and I just groan. I'm just like, oh, God, it should be over soon. Yeah, well, it's, it, it's raw. It should be like a three-minute match. It'll be over soon. And I think they gave him like a five-minute match, and I was just like, okay, thanks. Yeah, I mean, at this point, his legs are so bad. I, yeah. It's it's painful that, that they keep trotting him out there. And, um, you know, but... He's a uh, he's a he's a Vince still kind of thinks in that Carney 
um, the Carney perspective of he's a draw. Right. He's a spe- he's a spectacle. Well, maybe if they, maybe know, if they booked him as a monster, I think he could be where? a little more valuable. Yeah. So it is what it is. I get it, but uh, it's sure. not the most entertaining uh, stick anymore. Definitely not. Um, let's actually talk uh, transfer. You know, into into Vince. I'd like to get some insight on that. I remember. Um, I don't remember the exact year. See, when was the ECW show around? It was, uh, you guys taped that was it like... Around, that, was, that was around when I was there. I mean, I think it had launched in 05. I was yeah. there in 06, and it went through till 2007, 2008 before it finally shut down for real. But, yeah, yeah I was there for a big chunk of uh, that terrible... <laughs> well, I, I actually, yeah, cause I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I get very curious about what Vince is like, and I'll share you a quick story, and we can kind of talk about him uh, with, the, with the time that we have. Um, I remember I had like uh, obstructed view seats at at that show. I, you know, I'm in the DC areas at Verizon Center, and they tape SmackDown, and they tape DC or ECW's live, I think, at that point. And I remember they had they had to, you know, because the ECW set was off to the side; it wasn't you know, coming down the main mm-hmm. stage. And I remember the way they had set up these curtains, there was like kind of like a, a little crack and you could see right down into Gorilla. And I just, I was, I remember I didn't even pay attention to the show. I was just so fascinated because I could look in there and it wasn't the clearest view, but I could make out kind of who was who. And I just remember seeing Vince, uh, they were at a commercial break and the song, uh, Are You Gonna Be My Girl by Jet came on and I just saw him kind of like, slapping his knee and singing along and i was like holy shit this is vince mcmahon and i was like wow this is interesting and i I was married at the time and i pointed that out to my wife she's like oh yeah whatever she was worried about you know whatever was going on at the event and i'm like look at this is this is crazy and so i've always been kind of fascinated with vince and and how he is and perhaps you can uh shed some some light on you know what, what the guy's like behind the scenes is he cool is he out of touch is it a combination of both you know what's your kind of experiences with vince He's a um, he's everything you see on TV, right? But um, look, I always tell people when he's not around, when he's not in the gimmick, right? And when he's not in around people, when he's not around his uh, inner circle of people who expect him to be Mister McMahon and the billionaire head of WWE, like right. business wise, if it's just you one on one with him. He's a really fun, cool, you know, down-to-earth guy with right. really cool opinions and really cool stories. But if Johnny Laurinaitis walks in, he all of a sudden, you know, his chest comes out and he becomes, you know, CEO Vince right. and the writers are pieces of shit. And, you know, he's like snaps back into character. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm Vince McMahon, damn it. Yeah, that kind of that yeah, kind of character. Yeah, so it's just like, and our ideas are shit, and and that kind of thing. Or like, if Stephanie's around or Hunter's around, you're not going to have his ear. You're not going to have his sort of respect, and he's going to rib you and make fun of you, and you're going to be the butt of jokes and stuff like that. But sure. on the random occurrence when we would be in the room just with Vince or be on his plane just with him, which, I mean, he was nothing but he was a great guy and. You hear that from the guys who get to a certain level where they get to sort of hang out with Vince, you know, Shawn Michaels and and uh, uh, the upper echelon, you know, Cena now, the, those type of guys who really get to know Vince and, and right. aren't afraid of him anymore. Sure. I mean, then he's just he, he's just one of the boys and he just wants to uh, he just wants to have a good time. But he's a sociopath. <laughs> I mean, he's he's crazy and he's. His opinions change. He's persuaded by all sorts of factors that you can't even imagine that that you're not privy to. And he'll just walk into a a meeting and uh, listen to a whole storyline pitch, and then he'll just look up from his phone and tell you that we're not going to go in that direction. Wow. Um, But, uh, you know, any former creative guy will come on a radio show and say that Vince is crazy and he's (laughs) wishy-washy and... Yeah. He, his opinion changes day to day, and he's a seven-year-old senile man. But I mean, the guy—I <laughs> respect the shit out of him. And, sure, um, I think we all he, do. Fans and it, people it, that have been there. And to this day, I mean, if he, when his music hits and he comes down, I pop. I get, I get, I, uh, I get excited because nobody does it better than he does it. So um, 
I don't really have a bad word to say about him. It's it's really intense to be yelled at an inch from your face by him, which happened to me a couple times. Really? Um, could you yeah, could you could you share um, a story? Uh, do you have a few minutes to share a story? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, look. <laughs> um, it was a deal with uh, London and Kendrick, and they were flirting. Ashley Macero was with them, and we were doing a Halloween deal where um, uh, she was going to. She they were debuting their costumes, I think, backstage, and then she walked out with her like crazy, sexy, you know, uh, cleavage, right? Co- you know. Se- you know, slutty, sexy girl costume, and sure. their eyes bug. They, their eyes were supposed to bug out, and they were going to be speechless and that kind of thing. Uh-huh. So I shot that with them, and uh, Kendrick did sort of a uh, Scooby Doo like, oh yeah, adi 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 kind of thing, where his head, <laughs> you know, goes back and forth looking at her boobs. Right. And, and it was funny, and it was you know, but um, we shot that, and it aired to the house, and I over the headset I got. Um, uh, go see Vince and Gorilla, which is you know death. I mean, it's like dead men walking, <laughs> marching orders. Uh-oh. So I I go in there and I take my headset off. I kneel down beside him and just laid into me, just nose to nose, just like God damn it. That um that head bob shit went out in the goddamn seventies. Go fucking reshoot it. <laughs> Who the fuck told you to split a butt and just you know just destroying me and I was like yes sir I'll go reshoot it and I did I made the mistake of sort of blaming you know sort of saying well Kendrick just you know Brian just did it and I went with it and then you know Freebird took me aside he's like never blame the talent it's always your fault fall (laughs) on the sword Uh, you gotta die on that hill so I, I couldn't win I couldn't win so, so you'll. So, is it fair to say you would last a lot longer if you kind of fall in the sword, as you put it? Is that what? Yeah, I mean, I, I talk about it all the time. I, uh, I got the job way too early in my career. Um, at the right. time, I had only really sort of had um, a couple writing credits and not that much producing experience, and um, I got sort of eaten alive. Uh, wow. I didn't have the confidence to stand up for, you know, certain things and. Um, I didn't have the confidence to sort of go back at a, at a, at a piece of talent and say, nope, it needs to be this way. Just trust me. You need, you know, like I didn't have, I didn't have the chops that I sort of, you know, I've cultivated now, you know, six years later. And I always say, if I got, if I got the job now, I would be much better suited to handle all of the, all of the trials and tribulations that you go through. But as a young, you know, I was like 24, 25. Um, and, or 25, 26, and I just didn't have the, I didn't, I didn't have the confidence. Right, kind of went in there and got eaten alive, as you say. Wow, that's exactly that's riveting. Final, final question on Vince. Um, when, when based on your interactions around him, do you feel like? Because I mean, some people say he kind of lives in his own bubble. Do you think he kind of has has his finger on the pulse of what people are into at the current times? You know, from when you were there, uh, did you did you get that sense, or do you think maybe he was kind of taken away from kind of what was like in no. and popular and things like he that? Try, well, he tries, but at the end of the day, he's a he's a white guy in his upper sixties right. who uh, is running a company where most of his revenue comes from kids in their, you know, in their pre-teens. So right. it's hard. It's really hard when you, when you, when you pitch a story that's based on something current yeah. and hip and trending and you pitch it to a guy who, you know, you pitch it to a guy your dad's age and he's not going to get it. We did a deal with, when, when DX was uh, terrorizing Vince and they vandalized uh Vince's jet. You oh yeah. Yeah. So the line was supposed to be when Vince goes in and sees his jet with the DX on it and he goes in and the, all the interior is trashed, he was supposed to turn to camera and say, get those D, uh, get those DX off, uh, you know, like from snakes on a plane, which had just come out. Yeah. I want those mother, I want those motherfucking DX off my motherfucking plane. <laughs> and, uh, everybody in the room when that was pitched, Everybody cracked up. Everybody knew it would kill. Right. You know, you'd be pit whatever, but it was so relevant at the time because it snakes in the plane. 
So we pitch it to Vince, and Vince just takes his glasses off and says, God, he's like, how much money did that movie make? It's like opening weekend. It only made like $13 million. He's like, why the fuck would I quote <laughs> a movie that came in third in the fucking box office? <laughs> and it's like, buddy, you're missing the point. Yeah. But at that point, there's no way you can convince him. So, I mean, no. he looks at things from a bottom line standpoint, and not really a pop culture standpoint. And I've heard stories of when Bob Barker, you know, I wasn't there, but when Bob Barker uh, hosted, when they were doing the celebrity host deal, yeah. um, during the pitching that week, during the, the raw production uh, writers' meetings, Vince was under the impression that, uh, that the show that Bob Barker hosted was Let's Make a Deal. Oh, <laughs> no. And he had no idea what Price is Right was because all the writers were pitching like Plinko and, you know, the name tags and all this kind of stuff. And he was just like, well, what's behind door number two? Oh, jeez. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's Stephanie tries. She watches Buffy the Vampire Slayer and, Ooh, yeah. and, Gossip, and Gossip Girl and Grey's Anatomy and um, stuff like that. And Hunter is definitely more down, you know, into it than... And that's another reason why, you know, I backed the idea of Hunter sort of taking the reins because he's at least uh, got his finger on the pulse more than, than Vince does. But again, look, Vince knows how to make money, and that's the bottom line. Yeah. Whether he's, re whether he's current and relevant and hip or not, he still knows what eventually will sell. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and I guess one final question with this. Um, you were speaking of Triple H uh, being a good guy. Do you think, uh, Undertaker, do you think he's a guy that would want to, uh, you know, take on more of a backstage role, or you think he's probably done with the business once he gets through this yeah. last match or two? All I can say is, I mean, look, I know the sort of um, gravitas and stature he has sure. in the locker room and uh, uh, amongst the boys, but in my experience and just reading what I read, you know, I, he, he doesn't really have a presence um, creatively. Right. I mean, well, in, his ma in his matches, I, I don't see him taking on a, a, an agent's role or that kind of deal when, when when he hangs up the boots. But I definitely could see him going down and helping the developmental guys and doing seminars and, and right. that kind of thing. But I don't see him day-to-day -day in an office role backstage wearing a suit. I don't see that ever happening. Yeah, I guess the better question probably would have been, do you think he would be well-suited for that kind of stuff? And um... I mean, the guy, uh, obviously, any 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 uh, in any capacity where he's, um, imparting his wisdom on the, the new generation, the new crop of stars. I think that's where Undertaker um, will be utilized. But right. I don't think in a in a business office setting, backstage, Rene Goulet, Tony Gurria, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, coming out and breaking up fights and pull aparts. I don't think that's anything no, it's not that be him. <laughs> they'll ever be that that we'll ever see. Did you work with him much? Is he like a cool dude, Undertaker? Is he is he pretty I cool? Did, I did You know, he was on SmackDown when I was there, but he's kind of he keeps a low profile, and the only sure. people that sort of call, talk to him on the phone were Michael Hayes and, and at the time, you know, Alex Greenfield was the head writer. He got to sort of have a relationship. I didn't. I didn't really have a relationship with him. He he sort of um, we had one little encounter. One little encounter. It's a lot. It's a long story, but he, he sort of, uh, I was in this backstage deal, I think it was, uh, what pay-per-view was it? It's always on, oh, Armageddon. Okay. And I did this deal with uh, Regal where Vito was harassing Vito, her, Vito was harassing William Regal right. and chasing him all throughout the building, you know, he was in, a, in the song, in the dress. And William Regal uh, bump, was supposed to bump into a waiter with a full cart of food and like baked beans and stuff. I was the waiter. Right. And he bumps into the cart and we fall and the beans go all over us and I'm in my suit and we're slipping and sliding and we get all dirty. And so I'm in my suit because uh, Bruce Percer was like put me in the bit to like rip me because right. he knew like <laughs> I just had my suit and he's like, I'm going to get this kid dirty, whatever. And he didn't. It's a whole long political stupid story but the bottom line is that after the pay-per-view I get on the plane and I'm in this suit that it's just like I wiped all the, the stuff off but I'm obviously soiled yeah and un and it happened to be the one time the Undertaker's taking the plane home oh, no. with, with us and I just walked by him with this soiled suit and he just 
looks at me, boy, you're going to get on this man's plane looking like that? And I was just like, oh, my God, this is the undertaker. You know, what do I say? And I was just like, I don't, I don't have a change of clothes, sir. I, I don't know. And he's just like, sit down. <laughs> so, oh, but look, wow. that's not to say, you know, that's not to say he's, he's by any means a dick. He's just, you know, no. he's giving me the business. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I, I'll take, I'll, I'll be, I'll take ribs from Undertaker any time. Yeah, why not? It's only Undertaker, no big deal, right? <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable. I was like a 25-year-old geek. And there's the Undertaker right there. You're, you're riding on the same plane with Undertaker. That's just, I can't yeah, even fathom what that's cool. like. <laughs> well, look, Andrew, you've been, you've been so awesome with your time, and I really appreciate it. And in closing, uh, maybe tell us about, uh, you know, what you're up to these days, and and uh, uh, tell you know, plug your Twitter and all that good stuff. Sure, man. Well. Um I am a uh, producer on a show called uh, Big Morning Buzz Live. It's VH1's live uh, daily morning show, 10 a.m. every morning on VH1. Uh, I sometimes show up on camera, and uh, I've been known to dress up like Hulk Hogan uh, on camera. <laughs> I'll have to uh, set the DVR. A, a bit of a, a recurring character that I've done. I actually got to do it for Hulk Hogan. So tune into the show, 10 a.m. on VH1. Uh, my handiwork uh, can be seen. Uh, on that show, and then my Twitter at Angold A N G E G O L D at Angold. Um, if you tweet me a wrestling question, most of the time I'll write you back. And um, like I said, I'm, I'm always commenting on the latest and greatest uh, going on in the wrestling business. So at Angold A N G E G O L D, please follow me, and uh, I'll hit you back. Definitely, definitely. And Andrew is a good one to follow. Make sure you follow him on, on Twitter, and he's always got some great insight. Andrew, dude, you've been so great tonight, and, and we really appreciate your time. Uh, I know we went a lot a lot longer than we initially uh, agreed on, and I, I greatly appreciate that, and I think we got a lot of good stuff. So thank you so much for your time, and uh, we really appreciate thank you. it. Enjoy the Rumble, and let's talk uh, maybe uh, around Mania. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. We'll uh, We'll be in touch. Cool. Thanks, dude. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye.